This is Joshua Bell with Kilt on the Cloth. This is my sermon from November 14th, 2021, entitled The End of the World, taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. I hope you enjoy, and God bless. My scripture this morning takes place from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. And uh, this is one of those passages of Scripture. So I, I need you to buckle your seatbelts, put your trays in their upright positions, uh, because it's, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Hear now these words from the Gospel of Mark. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone left will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when this will be. And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is the beginning, just the beginning of those birth pangs. May God bless the reading of God's Holy Scripture. Amen. So, I don't know if you all know this, but I love the Gospel of Mark. Maybe a little bit too much. I, I, and I love this particular passage of Scripture because it's, it's weird and it's unique. But it is not about the end of the world, contrary to popular belief or commentary. One of the things that's fascinating about studying the Gospel of Mark is, is that you find out throughout all of antiquity that it's probably one of the earliest Gospels written. And the part that makes it fascinating and the ability for you to date it is this particular passage. When the writer, in the midst of, as my professor Dr. Hal Tossig would say, as the writer of Mark is writing this in the understanding of grief, and trauma and pain tells you literally what takes place when the destruction of the temple happens in 70 CE. Now, it's not a coincidence, however, that the writer also puts this right after the story of the widow's might. The offering that the widow brings into the temple now leaves and as a parting word as he's leaving the, the temple, you can hear the disciples all of a sudden, for some reason, focus in on the architectural beauty. And this we like to refer to as kind of comedy. It literally is kind of a joke. It reminds me of that old story that you all remember, hopefully, of the, the Little Red Riding Hood. What big eyes and big teeth you have, Grandma before it eats and devours. Little Red Riding Hood, right? The better to see you with. 
right? It's this idea. And the disciples come out of the temple, and the writer wants you to understand that as they look outside, they go, look at how big these stones are. Now, they, they were huge. They were huge. You need to understand that there are multiple layers to Jerusalem, but Herod, Herod the Great, has put these Herodian stones that are still there today that are massive. I mean, like one of them could go from the corner of this to that second pillar there. It was so massive, and it would be at least as wide. It's a struggle to figure out exactly how they were able to put them there, or were they honed there? And there's no evidence that they were honed there, so somehow they had to be moved there. And so when they walk out of the temple, that's the very first thing they see is that. And then there's their stones that are like cubits, you know, elbow to fingertip. 12 cubits wide, 8 cubits tall. It's, just, it's a fascinating contrast that this person is talking about in the Gospel of Mark. And it's a sense of foreshadowing. He says this in one of the darkest moments that Jesus ever utters. Jesus predicts its entire demise. Now, some would say it's a foreshadowing. You know, it's a, something that's going to take place in the future. Some would say that it's the air or the idea that it's signifying new beginnings. That the end of the world as they know it is going to disappear. But it's not done there. I love this story. It makes it takes a while for the, the words to sink in, but there's this place where Jesus obliges with them with more words about future false claims against the Messiah, inner country wars and natural catastrophes, and such signs will be the but the beginning of the end. And guess what? We continue to see all of these things, and yet the world has not disappeared. You see, this is not, as some would preach, a prophetic message as much as it is a, a moment of trauma. Trying to explain what was going on and why this had to happen. Have you ever had one of those moments? Do you ever re have a moment where you can remember in your lifetime that you were doing and what you, when you heard, first heard of it and you caught news of the that something's destruction. I mean, I want you to think about this. Their entire world is gone. Gone. Everything that they've known, everything that their generations before them have ever known is completely gone. And Jesus is pointing out and says, oh yeah, by the way, it's supposed to happen this way. Not one stone upon another. If you knew the world was going to end in six months, how would you live your life differently? I mean, TV and movies have given you all kinds of ideas. Everything that is on the TV and movies, you have these movies like The Bucket List. 
right? If you remember the bucket list, it's cool. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Let's go jump out of an airplane. That sounds fun. Not to me, but to somebody. I know that my wife tells me to go jump in a lake sometimes, but I don't think I want to jump out of an airplane. I think there's moments that in that, in that movie that are kind of neat, this idea of giving to somebody, doing something awesome with it. But you see, they, they recognize, even in the movie, that all of this stuff is about themselves, not what's better for humanity. You hear other movies where they take their entire wealth and they go to some place that they never would have gone in their lifetime, but at the last bit of their existence, they're going to go enjoy life that way. And I don't have any problems with that. I don't begrudge that moment. Their whole world is ending as they know it. They don't have the conversation that Jesus has given to them that something new is going to come out of that destruction. In that moment, the first century Jews and the early Christ followers are afraid that this is, this is the end. The destruction of the temple means that there is no God on earth. There is no Christ and if they're just praying that in any moment Jesus is going to come back, he's just going to walk through that door and everything's going to be better. There's an ending in the closure of a system. Some of us can remember the, the closing of Enron, where 3,500 employees lost their jobs in the blink of an eye down to 135 Oh, people that didn't have to worry about anything. You all can remember and recall some of the panic and pain that destroyed that financial temple, you see. You notice how the temple changes throughout history. But Jesus is changing that dialogue. He's not changing it in a way that says, not only is this going to happen, but I'm not going to replace it. He's saying there will be a new temple created something new for all of humanity that you can get into and under and through to find the presence of God on earth and it doesn't necessarily inside this like, like let's just be honest about this we look at this place and we know that this is just a structure our faith isn't completely destroyed if the building falls to the ground what do we do? Well, we just rebuild or we move to a different place. They're not getting that in the first century. Their new beginning here is talking about life in a new and interesting way. And I think it's just really weird and coincidental. But yesterday, we were in Walmart. And I was looking in the tire department in the Walmart. And, and as I'm walking around, I asked the lady at the counter, I was like, uh, do you have any of these types of tires? And she's like, no, we don't have any tires. Okay, thank you. And I walk down trying to find Carmen near the light bulbs. And as I'm walking, this guy, I walk past, I, I, he kind of looks familiar to me, but you know how this goes, right? You're walking in this direction, and you don't really, you're in a hurry. You, you, you're just on a mission. So I'm standing there looking at air compressors, and this guy comes walking around the corner, and he says, um, Sorry, please don't hit me. Okay. I'm going to ask you a weird question. <laughs> All right. About 20 years ago, did you play the role of Jesus or God? 
As a matter of fact, I did at NOC. And he goes, I was in that production with you. I heard your voice and I knew it was God. <laughs> and I was like, well, thank you very much. And then my wife comes around the corner and says, yes, I was married to them for six weeks. You know, we have this, this, this great image of this, but I remember the funny thing about talking to Scott was is that in that moment, we reminisced for about, you know, two or three minutes. You all know how this goes, right? And he talks about what his life did and what my life did, but I remember being thrust back into the memory of this show. And it was in 1999. Do you remember what was happening in the world in 1999? Yeah, that's right, Y2K. And I remember us being in the show thinking this is the last time we're ever going to be able to do something like this. I mean, it was the best, the best show I've ever done. I mean, I put my whole heart and soul into this. And in the whole time we're... For those of you that want to know, it was the musical Children of Eden. So there's this conversation about the creation, and I was still kind of trying to feel my way around being a musician and a minister. And here we are, I'm stuck in this room with all of these little kids, because Carmen and I were married at this point, and they're all talking about life, and I'm like, yeah, I have nothing in common with you. But we all were afraid. This is going to be the last time. It's got to be the best performance we've ever done. We've got to make it the best thing that anyone has ever seen. Because tomorrow, we might not ever be able to do this in public again. And you all remember what happened. We all went to bed December 31st on 1999 and woke up just fine on January 1st, 2000. But it's not like the world wasn't scary. And then all of a sudden, we looked at life with new eyes. You remember? The world was different. The things that we weren't afraid of were, were gone. But the things that we were, well, they're still there. There's still wars. There's still famines. There's still earthquakes. But that part of our world ended. So something new could begin. You see, I, I think that we can relate to this. I think we can understand that even in our daily life that there are endings and beginnings that we don't necessarily acknowledge in the right and correct way. We talk about the profession of our faith all the time that Jesus Christ comes into our life and we profess our faith and then our sins are forgiven and life goes on. But do you really understand what that means? You're saying we're putting an end to the old ways. That when we take that first step as a Christian, we might be the beginning for someone else. Think about it. The world ends every day for someone. And you might be that bright light. The world could come completely crashing down and it'll feel like the whole world is against you and you might be the voice of God that someone hears 
from around the corner in Walmart. You might feel it yourself that the world is ending right this very instant. And some of you here in the sanctuary and even those that are online might be the voice of a new beginning for them. You see, I think Jesus was brilliant in the ways that he gives us a new way of thinking. He says it very clearly in Jim, where? The Gospel of John, he says, we come to the Father but only through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And a new beginning comes from that moment. When we profess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we have a new beginning and an ending to something else. So here's my question. It's not about what you would do in the next six months. It's not what you would do in the next year. It's more importantly for you to think about what you do in the next five minutes. How would you live differently? How would you live differently knowing that the world is going to be completely different in the blink of an eye? Would you be focused in on only the doom and gloom or would you be the voice of excitement, enthusiasm, watching as new creation comes from the destruction of something old? You get to be that voice. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.